And it's your boy Roshan Gomez. You are listening to the Rumah Roy podcast. Special guest in the house, Mr. Kishan Tariq Al Basravi. Hey, you got it right. <laughs> I'm so so scared that I would have gotten it wrong. Um, yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, it was kind of a last minute thing. Uh, let me just set this up, lah. So basically, you're a reporter. Uh, you're doing a a piece on podcasting in Malaysia. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, kind of like the trend during and post-pandemic. Oh, well, not post-pandemic, but <laughs> as we are opening back up. Uh. Right. I, I thought uh, Star had taken a, a stand that the pandemic was over. <laughs> Controversial <laughs> view. <laughs> Endemic, right? That's what we're yeah, moving yeah, to. Yeah. yeah, that's what we're moving towards. It's like so, a bad rash. It doesn't go away. Yeah, exactly. As long as it's not a deadly rash, I think you're fine. <laughs> um, so yeah, we were talking and I thought to myself, why don't you just come on and we can just sort of like, uh, like you mentioned, like we can just meta it and uh, break through the fourth wall. We can, you can ask your questions about podcasting while we are on the podcast for other podcast listeners. <laughs> then you can compare and it's like, oh, this interview came out differently on the paper. Exactly. Editing powers. Exactly. People spin it. The news media spins it. <laughs> um, I've also been watching a lot of community. You said that you watch community, right? Yeah. Six seasons and a movie. Six seasons and a movie. Yeah. I love that show, man. I love that show. Solid. Some the only problem with it is that um, the later seasons because they were basically hemorrhaging people yeah. like Donald Glover left, uh, Chevy Chase left, uh, the 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 black lady uh, Yvette 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 Brown I think I think that's her name. Okay, she also left. Yeah. So like the 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 core characters and then they were just like replacing people to try and like you know that never works out. The other Daryl issue. Oh yeah 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 exactly. Um, so that's the. The, the, the thing but anyway the reason why I brought up community is because a big part of community is like deconstructing okay. um, um, characters and shows and sort of breaking through the fourth wall right mm-hmm. so I think I've been in that frame of mind and so that's why I was like let's break through the fourth wall let's, let's do a podcast that's never been done in Malaysia <laughs> this will be the first of its kind <laughs> we'll do an actual like uh, uh, interview session about post- podcasting on a podcast yeah Flip it, man. <laughs> so, like, uh, what uh, desk are you in actually right now? I write with a technology desk for right. lifestyle. So, it's like a weekly print version. But yeah. I got, like, daily online stories as well. Right. So, every few weeks, I produce, like, a more in-depth feature-length story. Yeah. So, it's like, thousand three, thousand six words. Yeah. Depending on how slow or how fast you read, that's, like, ten minutes reading. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you've been doing this for a while now. Yeah, um, journalism in general for longer, about 10 years. Damn. But technology, about two to three years only. Mm-hmm. What else? What other desks have you covered? Uh, my longest time has been in news reporting uh-huh. and court reporting specifically. Right. So like um, any, all these litigation issues and yeah. minor crimes. But you have no legal background? No, none at all. That'd be, to me, that's kind of crazy because it would be... Advantages? Difficult. <laughs> it would be difficult. I mean, those court cases, people don't understand. They're not like, they're not like a movie. It's really boring. Very slow. Yeah. It's really, really boring. And especially if you don't understand the lingo mm-hmm. and don't understand what's going on, it you can get pretty lost, I think. 
it helped that actually there's the whole point of the court reporting is an educational structure. Right. You start with the magistrates, the lower courts, and you're dealing with really small mm. criminal cases. Okay, okay. You can get better, then you like go up and start doing appeals. And then when you actually get your shit together, you start actually doing like civil cases. Mm. And then it's like, oh, so this is the complicated bits. <laughs> right. But by then I was like a year plus in court. I was like, yeah. Did you go to Putrajaya? Oh yeah, all the time. That's my right. go-to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, do any of the does any of your court reporting cases does anyone stand out to you? Is there one that you know you, you hmm. is there one that you, while you're in bed at night at three in the morning it just comes to your mind? I t- <laughs> <laughs> I don't think work comes up in my mind much unless it's like a deadline. Then I like wake up with like stress dreams yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but in terms of like when people ask me about court reporting like what sticks mm. I guess the human rights and civil cases are always the ones that I feel matter mm. like a dime a dozen right when like, people get all I mean I covered the uh, 1MDB corruption case and many like lesser ones mm-hmm. and People, it's very emotional, guttural, kind of like, oh, that's like a betrayal of trust for the country. Yeah. But for me, it's like, eh, it's like a boring <laughs> accounting error issue. I guess it's your job to make that boring um, presentation into something that is palatable. For oh, that one's actually the easier one. It's like, yeah. oh, from PM does something bad. Everyone's like, loses it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that's more difficult for me is the one I actually care about is like uh, human rights issues, right? Like mm. um, the transgender case. No, mm. Sorry, the cross-dresser case. Now, they're not transgenders. Right. In Negri Simbilan and right to life and right to choose to cross-dress if you want. Yeah. And that was quite interestingly specific because they were not even asking to be identified as women. Mm. They are men who identify as men who also want to cross-dress, I yeah. believe. Yeah. I might be wrong. It's like five, six years ago I covered this. Is that the Sharia courts or? No, uh, this is a civil case. It's a civil case, right. And the court of appeal judgment was like amazingly woke. Right. Uh, then it got, all got fumbled in the federal court so nothing wanted to it. So that's a bit sad. But uh, Usually uh, is the case. Like. A bit. Uh, I thought that was like, interesting like, because that really pushes the boundaries of what people should be thinking about their lives. Like, because uh, the main part of the decision was right to life mm. so like what is what the definition is yeah? yeah so he was like if these people have choose to dress as such and they are not allowed to go to work because they get harassed you're curbing their right to life yeah so it's like oh, that's a really interesting thing so anything that stops people from being able to do their jobs or live yeah can be perceived as right to life right so even education yeah. can be tucked under Right to life. So if you make it difficult for someone to get like public school education, yeah. you're actually like kind of breaking the law. Lo. Yeah. I guess in a, another way to frame it is uh, when uh, but you, there are hurdles to a person living their life in the fullest sense. Lo. Yeah. In the, or the truest sense. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do sometimes, um, you know, you go to like a mall or you, if you take a train and then you see like a guy mm-hmm. who's obviously, um, how do I say this? Not feminine, but you can see that this person is someone who, um, I don't know how, what's the right word to, well, this is a person that obviously does not uh, conform to standard. Uh, okay. Gender uh, gen- fluid. Yeah. Yeah. And I do feel, I mean, not to, not in a condescending way, but I do feel some empathy because I realize that, you know, you see that a lot of people are looking at them mm. and 
they stand out, you know, very much so. And they're just people, and you know, they're on their way to like work and to live their life. And I, I would think that even in those spheres that there's a lot of judgment and it is, uh, I can imagine it being very, very tough. I mean, like I'm kind of like a semi-religious person mm-hmm. and I do believe in like morality and good and bad. And mm-hmm. I do believe in uh, the, that people should be encouraged to live their lives. In a, um, people, we should think about the ought, not just the is, you know, we ought, just because we can do something doesn't mean we should, that we should tell people like, you know, you should consider this particular type of way of living. Of course, there are multiple ways of living, but like generally that there are good habits you can foster in your own life. There are good things that you can uh, sort of like look towards to. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't see how forcing someone to do it is going to help. It becomes counterproductive at that point. To I mean, me. Again, I, it's kind of like comes back to law because religion is a mm. older version of law. It tried to define black and white what is yeah. right, right is wrong. Yeah. And acceptability, acceptable standards in being. Mm. So naturally, it encourages snap judgment. So yeah. it lets people decide what to do much easier. It's like if the form says boy or girl, mm. so it's a lot easier than if you put LGBTQ, then like you have to fill in six different parts of the form. Yeah. So religion just kind of helps like narrow it down there. doesn't necessarily help people who don't subscribe to that, but for the mass majority, it's a simplification of things. Huh? Yeah, even in like legal jurisprudence, we study like, is the law what it is or the law, is the law what it ought to be? Hmm. You know, so when you say the law is what it is, it means that you have like, let's say a group of people, whether it's a monarch or whether it's like a democratic system, mm-hmm. people decide what the law is and the law is that, yeah. right? But then you can take that to like a particular extreme, like if you take that to like the Nazis, mm. right? Where what where everything they did was legal, yep. you know, in a sense. Rule number one, take over parliament. Yeah, exactly. And everything is legit. Then is what they are doing, is it lawful or not? You know, and so then it comes to that, that second school of thought, which is no, the law is not what it is. It, the law is what it ought to do. And then there are some guiding principles like the right to life, mm. right? The, and But this right to life, that means you have to accept that it is like self-evident, that it is not given by people. Mm. It is it is there, you know? It is it's like unviolable. Uh, that's not a word. Un, uh, Violatable. Uh, oh, yes, exactly. You know, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a very deep conversation that we've gone into. I feel the easy shortcut for that is when you look at the constitution, yeah. people think constitution is on your side. Constitution is inherently not on your side. Okay. It is a series of restrictions on a national level. Right. Because think of it as the but to, the the pillars of your house. Yeah. The law and the rest of it is just the bricks and the niceties. But if you don't have the pillars, you can't build that from that. Yep. But the pillars can only exist by creating restrictions. Mm-hmm. So right to life actually is a restriction against like committing murder against someone else. It's right. trying to stop you from doing something. So there is one part that no constitution can accept. Mm. It's right to total self-autonomy. Uh, determination. Yep. Self-determination. Correct. And like if you introduce that into your constitution, it breaks down almost every law. That's it true. encourages total anarchy. Yeah, I get what you're saying. The moment you stop at a... Uh, I always use this example, but the moment you stop at a red traffic light, mm. that's you restricting your, so, your yourself to... Uh, to, to 
to a sense. Lah. And actually, we do that in so many levels. Mm-hmm. That's why it's like weird when um, anti-vaxxers, and I'm not saying that they don't have their own legit arguments, uh, like, like, you know, vaccine mandates, and that's a whole thing. But when uh, anti-vaxxers says that uh, no one can tell me what to what to or not to do, like, you know, and then they use the word, use words like police state so yeah. liberally, I think that's a bit odd. It's quite literally a police state though. Well, not really because technically a police state would would be a state with no, like parliament for example. Okay. Literally the police it, would yeah. be in charge and like there's no check. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's mm-hmm. no check and balance. You know, the police following the laws set by people who voted in by the citizens of the country, that's not a police state. You yeah, know? No. That would be classified as a democracy. Yeah, exactly. And um, and you don't have like unfettered autonomous rights all the time. All mm. our rights to a certain degree is restricted. You know? Yeah. That's I mean, the requirement of the, what do you call it? Uh, societal agreement, right? To be part of society, you must agree to these restrictions. Correct. Your right ends where my right begins. Mm. You know, so you have like competing competing rights with each other. As like a lay person, I'm curious to know, because there's this sort of societal view that the Malaysian judiciary is corrupt. Uh, I mean, that's the rumor, right? I uh, know about why we have so many people in the Court of Appeal and court, Federal Court. Yeah. The, I don't know if it's a joke or a semi-true. Uh-huh. They increase the number of judges per panel yeah. to increase the cost of corruption. Last time you bribed one judge, you're good to go. Right. If you want to bribe five extremely <laughs> well-paid judges, you are going to have a hard time. Yeah. And if they randomly reshuffle, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the day itself, you don't know the panel. Ah, oh, shit. I only bribed two of those guys. <laughs> Who are those other three? Right, right. Um, so, you doing your reporting, right? Yeah. And you being exposed to the court scene as a layperson. Mm. Was your views, uh, were they in any way changed from, from pre-reporting to post-reporting? Or was it just the same... Uh, definitely changed. Uh, it, covering these things is educational, even on a structural level, right? Yeah. Like, say you're a wide-eyed student, just kind of learned a bit about civil rights and law and all that. You're very enthusiastic about it because you have an unbridled, unstructured opinion of it. So even if I still agree with that student on their basis of their stuff, I have like a bit more structure to think about like how I feel about things. Mm. Be like, well, if you want complete rights and like anarchy is your answer, but anarchy is just not good economy. So mm. now I would temper it with what makes sense in a society a bit more. So they'll be like, oh yeah, that's a bit of a down. I'm like, yeah. So that's how it's changed. It's not changed my opinion. It's changed my structure of thinking. Okay. 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 I mean, no system will ever be perfect. And um, it just feels like a democratic system is the best system that we kind of have. Lah. And I feel like some people just want to throw out the the baby with the bathwater when maybe the more realistic solution is to just work on the system that we have at present. Yeah. You know? Like people see some ro- uh, some negative effects of capitalism and they feel like Oof. capitalism capitalism is the devil incarnate and they want to completely get rid of capitalism. Late stage capitalism. <laughs> Unfettered capitalism. Mm. Unfettered capitalism definitely is a problem. And especially when the game is rigged. Mm. Right? So like if capitalism is a 
uh, a football game and if there are people who are not playing the 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 rule they're not following the rules then definitely there's an issue yeah you know but i mean like in terms of football it's quite literal as well what the best teams <laughs> yeah, are the best, the best paid players yeah, yeah, yeah so like anyone would be steamrolled by simply the better funded team yeah but then but then again you also still see like you could have a great team like manchester united right and they've invested so much okay they got back cristiano ronaldo but they don't win every game you know in fact they can have like a pretty bad losing streak they but when they lose they don't lose to like the state perak team or something <laughs> yeah, i mean no, sure like, i'm sure perak probably pretty good i don't know about them. i don't follow football <laughs> the perak football uh, association know. comes after after this yeah. to all uh, perak football fans calm down it was just a random example yeah. <laughs> but they lose to a team that's pretty damn good yeah it'd be another team like okay so let's just look at it like pure dollar value maybe manchester is worth like 2 billion per annum funding. Yeah. They won't beat be beat by a team but 100,000 dollar funding. Mm. They get beat by a 1.5 million or a 1 billion team. Mm. It's like oof. You get beat by the bottom of the circuit but you're still getting beat by the worst of the best. Mm-hmm. So it's not like somewhere completely out of nowhere just came and like steamrolled like that doesn't happen. Well, it can't be like a It won't be like a miracle turn around. Yeah, but it, you know the funny thing is like I don't even watch football, so this is the worst. I don't know. I don't I even don't know. know. I, I don't follow. <laughs> why we are both talking about it? But never mind. Let's let yeah. let's hunker down. Let's go. <laughs> no, I I guess like in the league, like it's it's I think very much possible that Manchester United could be beaten by like Everton hmm. or like okay. Tottenham or whatever. I mean they're not like top tier. They're not like the top five. Uh, Okay, here yeah, we know. go. I've insulted groups of people. I'm just throwing shit out. I'm sorry, uh, Ever- Everton fans and Tottenham fans. But like, my point is like, yeah. you could Manchester United could be beaten by someone bottom on the table. Possible, possible, yeah. right? They could not be beaten. I mean, it's very unlikely they would be beaten by a pair up, yeah. for sure. You know, but it's not a. a It's not guaranteed that they're going to win every match. Hmm. So, but but that's my point. My point is more like if the actual game is rigged against uh, Manchester United, that would be. I mean, against the teams going against Manchester United, hmm. that would be something different. Yeah, I'll say it's actually fair that they are where they are. What they got the best advertising, they have the best followers. Yeah. So I mean, if you have all that funding and you hire the best players, yeah. if anything, I feel it's unfair you didn't win. <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. my goodness, you have everything at your disposal. Yeah. So it's not un- inherently unfair that you got the money. I assume the age, the prestige, the capacity to fundraise no, is so, why they are there. Yeah, basically you you performed really well. Mm. You attracted more fans. You build a community. These fans want to invest in you. You get more money, mm. and so you invest in yourself more. You get better players. You become yeah. better and better and better. So, I mean, that's basically the capitalistic idea, right? That that's you, the dream. That's the dream, lah. So, but of course, the problem is. When Like Manchester United becomes too big and too powerful, and basically, like you said, lah, smashes the small people from like no good players are going to the small teams, so like lower chance of the small teams rising up. Mm. But I feel like um, capitalism, where it's like really, really corrupt, is where like the game itself is rigged, like mm. where the referee is like you're paying off the referee. You you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like where the the rules are being disregarded. But as long as there's a, a a chance for that small guy to beat the big guy, 
I feel it's still like okay. I mean, it's still like it's part of the game, basically. Yeah, fair enough. You know, because the like socialist idea would be then you would have to go to Manchester United, take monies from Manchester United, and redistribute it to the lower teams. Mm. I don't know, man. It's just weird to me to think of it that way. The problem with this metaphor, I think it's it's a competing competing metaphor. Yeah. As in, yeah, in terms of competition, you can't mess with the game by taking monies from the best, but you can't also allow the best to corrupt the game by bribery. Mm. But existence as a society is not competition-based, which is why capitalism is just fatally flawed. Capitalism is a great solution. The most brutal way to achieve something. Mm. And it's part of it is beautiful in the sense that capitalism is designed to support like the next evolution of human existence. Uh, like this idea like why an ant is not an organism. An ant is part of an organism. By itself is useless. Yeah, yeah. But as part of a hive mind, it is a super organism. Yeah. A corporation is a super organism. A company is, I mean, a country is theoretically a super organism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why you have to look at it in stretches of 50 to 500 year periods. Mm. Like humans just die when they're 80. So like that's a finite usefulness. Mm. The problem is a lot of these corporations fail because, or they fail to be what they should be. It's because they are following an investor cycle. Mm. So every earnings, they got to be something exciting for the investors. Yeah. So they're looking at it at not even one year basis, three month basis. Yeah. It's the incentivizations. The incentivizations. And, yeah. and uh, um, I think there's a solid book on this because it's so easy to read. Um, Please don't uh, tell me, don't tell me uh, economics. Uh, it is an economist book. Uh, it's, I think, Freakonomics. 12 things that would surprise you about economy or oh, something wow. like that. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly, but the thing is, he's, uh, okay, I'll find, look at the title later, but he's... Uh, yeah, I can just search it yeah. 12 things, 12 things. That might surprise you about economics mm. or that you didn't know about economics. All I remember is he's a South Korean mm -hmm. lecturer in a Ivy League school. And the fun thing about this book is like you can read it 1 to 12 or you can read it in different orders depending on if you're trying to look at it as a socialist thing, as a pure capitalist thing. Right, right. And he's a big advocate against the idea of free market. Right, right, right. Uh, even like chapter 2 is, he says like why the free market doesn't exist. And his argument is very simple, it's like immigration exists. So free market is an illusion. Because immigration exists? Yeah. Why? Okay, let's give you a very local example, right? Um, a lot of food restaurants, mm -hmm. as opposed to drink restaurants, I guess, restaurants, are facing difficulty. Like I read just yesterday, the Mama Restaurant Organization, Association, they've lost 2,000 members out of 12,000, 2,000 shops closed during MCO. Mm. And it's not just because like bad economics, it's because they straight don't have enough workers. I went to a restaurant yesterday and said, mm. yeah, we're closed for, uh, until further notice, because we straight don't have enough workers. Okay, so a couple of ways. The Copidiums have been doing relatively better. They still have some stuff, but they're also increasing the prices to pay stuff and attract stuff. So that's free economics, uh, free market at play, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to be willing to pay more. Tapi, 
for mama shops, the price is very low because they are able to use foreign labor. Okay. But now we have a shortage of foreign labor because xenophobic practices, perhaps, mm. is not allowing uh, foreign laborers who may or may not be legal to come back into the country during MCO. Mm. So while uh, special talent passes and while people assume to be expats because they are high value individuals, allowed to gallivant and go in and out, balik kampung, go on holidays arbitrarily and come back to Malaysia and continue the jobs, foreign workers are not able to come in because their visas don't allow and such. Okay? Mm -hmm. And this supports the idea of like, but you need them to keep prices down. So if free market was there, mm. it's like, okay, too bad lah. We can't get the foreign workers. Maybe because it's a global pandemic. Let's not even look at immigration policies. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I get, what you mean? Yeah, I get what you're saying. But in that sense, that, yeah. But I don't think it was ever the case that anyone said that was like, a complete free market. market because that would be insane you know because then you would have like every country has regulations True. you know every country has regulations in the free market yeah. like um what's a anti-dumping laws yeah one. yeah sure or even like for uh I'm trying to think of like a tangible thing that uh on a day-to-day -day, there would definitely be something uh, price of chicken and eggs right now. Oh, no. Uh, drugs. Okay. Like a real free market, if there was demand for drugs, you would let people buy drugs. Yeah. Well, I mean, without any limitations. Or like medication. Like if you need to get a doctor to sign off, that's a limitation uh, on the free market. Because technically, in the most realist sense, what you would want to do is like, let's say you want to get heroin. Then. Mm. Okay. A free market would be like, there's demand. Let's give them heroin. If it's really bad, then the market should reflect it in the long run and people should stop wanting to buy. Well, also free market, something cheaper and safer than heroin would become more popular. Yeah. Right. So in that sense, yeah, that, now, of course there is always, yeah, in that sense, there is no real free market. Yeah, but the problem with free market then is it becomes an excuse. You see, every time people talk about socialism, yeah. it's like, but free market. That's like, true, true. But you don't have a free market. So why don't we just get serious and start talking about socialism? Like, oh, okay. A free market, like yeah. no. The way that I look at it is again like a game, and that I think there's a difference between having rules for the game mm -hmm. and being an active player in the game. Mm -hmm. So, like, I would want my government. Uh, I think the role of the government is to set the rules and to be the referee. Okay. But I don't think the government should be a player in the game. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it pre prevents corruption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The problem is when, uh, and I guess you can also substitute government for like big tech now because you look at like like Facebook or yep. Spotify, you know, Spotify or all these platforms now, they have actually in some ways taken up the role of the government, at least in terms of like censorship and like yep. what you can or cannot do on these huge platforms, which are basically like public places, right? Mm. And where last time in the public park, right, you have that signboard, the, the state would like put it there. You know, you can't like walk around in the padang naked, right? That's like controlled by the government. Now, like on Facebook, the way you communicate with other people, because it's a private ent enterprise, it's yeah. not regulated by, well, to a certain extent, not regulated by the state. Hmm. It's like Facebook is like trying to figure that out. Twitter is trying to figure that out. I mean, that's in the Euro nations are the best example of it. Yeah. Because they form a wide web of government yeah. that bypasses a certain amount of borders. Right. Uh, 
social media is so powerful because they like completely don't have borders. Exactly. Yeah. The metaverse, man. Oh god. <laughs> what do you think about that? Uh it's just an umbrella term for a lot of things that are existing on. Like I mean, video viewership has been up for a long time. And now people have 5G coming in. Yeah. You have so much data, the ability to transfer data, bandwidth, and uh, latency. That like, it's kind of exactly like kind of bullshit that Telco will tell you. Like, oh, we now have like much cheaper data. Okay, but we only spend all the data. Oh, so you like um, you have to buy more data. Oh, okay, so we're gonna invent all this stuff for you to watch. Right. Like, okay, so metaverse is like we have so much power. It's like. What are you gonna do with it? Uh, VR that that <laughs> that spends a lot of data, right? Yeah, and it uses latency. Yeah, okay. Like, let's sell VR. It's, like, it's kind of dumb, though. Like, yeah. There's so much better things you can do five G with, but like it does not have an attractive use case. I mean, I don't know when I like read like um, articles or YouTube videos like like from the BBC or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And they they so like you know make it more flashy. They try and like sort of Man, do do the do the the, the the reporting like in VR like in like you know yeah. so they'll be using their avatar or whatever and it just looks so weird yeah. and to me it just shows you like how clunky the technology is right now and I feel people are just way getting way too excited about something that I don't think is is gonna be like it looks like it's going to be a, a part of everyday life. I'll give it that much. It's like when people st- started having cars, like mm. this car has five horsepower. Imagine five horses. Like, yeah. okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, and soon afterwards, you're like, you know what? The great thing about cars is it doesn't shit everywhere on the road. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And now electric cars is like, you know what? It doesn't shit pollution on the road. Like electric cars are amazing. Yeah. So 5G, right now, a metaverse would be like, oh, it's kind of clunky and awkward. And I just think people are overhyped when there was, it's not like when like Steve Jobs announced the first iPhone where there was an actual product hmm. and it was like legit, it was ready to go out. Mm-hmm. This is something that's really like, still it's abstract. Like, yeah, it's so abstract. And uh, I don't know, it's a bit weird. And there's so many like, like you said, it is going to be a thing. But the implications, I it's hard for me to fathom. One is like the social implications. Mm-hmm. You're going to have, I guess, it's like ready player one. You're yeah. going to have a lot of people that are hiding in this, this world. Um, I don't know whether virtual reality is better than reality. I mean, like, there's a ton of MMORPG players. Yeah. But like, unless you are professional at it or somehow you can turn monetize it, you have to wake up and like go to work anyway. Yeah. So if there is a ready player one VR situation, people who play it for fun will you, go back to work. People you, who don't. Yeah, you probably have jobs in yeah. <laughs> in it, right? I was actually reading a, an article about how um, those role playing games disproportionately affect men. Okay. And how they like I think in America they've started to like st- uh, set up uh, rehab centers for uh, video games. Okay. And how disproportionately it's basically men going for this, right? And it's just like, again, like the social implications, even games. Dude, I know, I have like friends who like freaking, when they are really in a game, they will pee in a bottle. Yeah. You know, I, I know people like that. So it's like, just imagine taking that one step further. I mean, this is this classic addiction. Lah. Yeah. One thing or another. And another Im- kind of implication that people don't consider is the amount of uh, uh, the environmental costs 
because it's just like NFTs, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you're gonna a lot of these things are gonna be like powered, like I guess by blockchain or or whatever. Uh, okay. To be fair, it's cryptocurrency that is more damaging to the environment, not NFTs, because yeah, but NFTs generally are like powered by. Not uh, exactly, because uh, there are two main codifying systems for cryptocurrencies. Mm. Oh, well, actually, blockchain systems as well. Mm. Uh, there's proof of. Is that I can't remember the exact phrase, but basically two different proof systems. Mm. One checks every transaction, mm. so it's constantly going and it ramps yeah. a lot of energy. Yeah. So basically, these are like computers that are, are just like. Um, just machines. They don't even have like screens or whatever. Yeah. And they're just supposed to run forever. They grind. Infinitely. Yeah. Uh, they just basically do computations yeah. repeatedly to prove that these things are happening. I mean, honestly, when you unlock okay, your maybe, computer. Okay, maybe just before we go there, uh, yeah. just for those listening, maybe you can explain blockchain. In, okay. Oh my is goodness. Is there a way for you to simply explain blockchain? Um, okay. Think of it as the easy, okay, this is probably hugely inaccurate because I prefer not to write about blockchain to it's uh, way too complex. Um, it is a proof of, it's a system that proves things. Like, I think it's like in the past banks hmm. would like, uh, be the, play the role of the, the intermediary between like a seller and a buyer or like a, if you're transferring money to someone. Yeah, like a credit card, right? Yeah, exactly. So the bank is the middle person to say, oh yeah, you have money in this account, mm. you can transfer money to this account. And then they logged, they were logged that, oh, on this date, at this time, this money was transferred to this. True. Yeah, right. So the reason they consume so much in data, it's, I mean, not data, but energy, it's because they are constantly proving that these statements are true. So, so much as like, does this person have 300 uh, Bitcoin? Yes, this is true. If he moves his Bitcoin to column B, like to transfer to someone else, is it true that he wanted to transfer? It's true. Is the recipient the correct person? It's true. Like everything needs to be checked again and again and again. And every time it gets more and more complex for the systems. Yeah. But there is another uh, philosophy on this as well. Yeah. That basically results in less truth checks. Right. And this makes... Uh, blockchain systems a lot more efficient, right. but they cannot serve the same functions exactly. Right. What I'm saying is the NFTs don't necessarily need to run on. The first, the, the first type. Yeah. Right. Because like NFCs are largely run on Ethereum blockchain, Yeah, but no one runs on um, Bitcoin or because it would be way too expensive to keep doing verification checks there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, it will be less and less environmentally impactful, but who knows what the actual use of it? So I don't know. I don't have a because those like um like those blockchain uh, I don't know systems like Bitcoin for example, mm -hmm. not only mining but like like the checks you were talking about, yeah. right? Um, the amount of like power it yeah. takes it's like insane. Like it's like you know it, it a could small be, country, a small country. It's crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Damn. So, but do you think you would have? If everybody was going on like VR, do you think that it would have that a sim and the people were doing like all these multiple transactions on like the metaverse? Because mm -hmm. that's what it is, right? It's this world. Uh, you're going there, you you'll be able to offer like services and you'll be able yeah. to buy stuff and uh, it'd be shoppy with extra steps. Because I mean, thinking about it, like if you go to Shopee or Lazada or any competing 
I don't spot any particularly commas. Uh, it's a picture, it's some um, text, and you read the text, you do the transaction, and the transaction is it's over a banking system, right? Yeah. If you're in the metaverse, I guess you could see in like 3D or something. Yeah. And then that takes a lot more data to uh, render in 3D. Yeah. And perhaps the payment system might be something more complex than uh, just a bank system where you need an OTP check and blah, 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 you do that. But it's not hugely more data consuming. So as a person in, you know, who's writes about tech, hmm. what are you excited about? Yeesh. Maybe uh, in the next, like, I don't know, five or 10 years or, or whatever. Gosh, uh, I think cloud systems uh, still have not been fully optimized yet. Like we can do a lot more on cloud. Okay. I mean, the fact that, oh, unfortunately the drawback is subscriptions are everything nowadays. Huh? Yeah. Um, so grading I, I, I think even like I remember reading a few weeks ago um, like you know your uh, WhatsApp web is automatically uh, backed up on Google Drive yeah uh, apparently that's gonna like stop yeah I wrote about that oh, really yeah uh, it's still a rumor uh, what they have is the you, well not really it, a rumor did it come out a few weeks ago no it was came out like last week oh okay yeah, maybe I read that yeah, yeah. yeah they found some lines of code of inside um, Google Drive and WhatsApp right. that would say, give you a warning that your allocation for WhatsApp on Google Drive is running out. Mm. That doesn't need, the code doesn't need to be there if they want to going to introduce a limit. Right, so, yeah. right, right, right. I mean, it's fair, right? Like if for years you've been watching off your parents and suddenly you move some to your own house and the landlord asks, uh, where's my rent? <laughs> like, oh shit, I need to pay for services? <laughs> what? <laughs> is we have come to assume internet and digital things are so cheap yeah. that we have grossly devalued what they are. Yeah, yeah. As that becomes corrected and realized, uh, we're going to pay more for online services. Huh? But um, think about it, man. Uh, it's still so much more efficient and cheaper than like buying a hard drive, downloading all these movies or buying DVDs and filling out a whole section. It's like, okay, um, if you don't want Netflix, try movie or whatever. Yeah. And be like, that's cheap for that. And I watch movie once and I don't want to watch it again. Why would I want DVD? Yeah. And to be honest, Netflix is cheap as well. Hmm. So it's not like it's that expensive. In fact, I feel like people are going to, I mean, when it comes to entertainment services, everybody is just going to be at one point subscribing to Netflix, uh, Spotify Premium, hmm. uh, Amazon Prime. Very important Disney for games Plus. as well. Yeah. Because you need patches, updates, DLC. So... Yeah. Cloud is naturally logical place for games to go along. Yeah, right, 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 right. Actually, gaming also is like a really, really big thing. In fact, all this like um, uh, metaverse, VR stuff, a lot of it is powered by gaming systems hmm. or gaming engines, right? Yeah. Uh, how much of technology has been developed because of Marvel movies and because of games? It's crazy. Yeah, it's true. Um, I think the first few visual exercises for like, computers... Mm. Some of them were just like for doing Excel sheet work, but a yeah. bunch of them were also for games, rudimentary games. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it gives people an easy target in terms of like, what do I want to see? Like, I want to see a guy in an iron suit flying around, man, that would be so cool. Like, yeah. all right, let's build the technology for that. <laughs> yeah. Like Tarzan, apparently, yeah. it's one of the groundbreaking movies, yeah. uh, the animated Tarzan by Disney. Because yeah. it was the first time they used uh, computer-generated uh, backdrops. So the scenes where Tarzan is like sliding around on the vines, that could be generated so fast because they were starting to use computers. If you had to hand draw that shit, 
it would have been exhausting. Yeah, because uh, there was a lot of fluid movement in Tazat, uh, mm. like crazy. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. A very silly reason. Like, why do you invent that? It's like, uh, the reason was dumb, but the application is cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wanted to do a, a, oh, no. a cartoon for a cartoon uh-huh. movie for kids about a jungle man who <laughs> falls in love with his British lady. <laughs> All right. But <laughs> with I a soundtrack actually... by a banging soundtrack by Phil Collins. <laughs> exactly. But what's the end result? Oh, I accidentally created a really smooth visual rendering uh, software. Like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. insane though. Anyway, so cloud, cloud-based cloud systems, that's what you're excited yeah. about. It's not new, but it's not fully pushed into. So what do you think it's going to look like in like 10 years? Uh, oof. I would say... I mean, I think phones are a clear example of it. Uh, whatever you have can be a lot smaller, a lot more efficient. Uh and you probably even have like smaller energy consumption because everything is being done offsite. Mm. Um, and it also makes cost of hardware upfront cheaper, but cost of subscriptions and data more expensive in terms of sheer consumption. Mm-hmm. So that because would be... everything will not be stored on your device. Yes. It will be stored on the software, uh, on the cloud basically. Yeah. So that just changes the economics of things a lot. That's so why I find it exciting. Your, your phone won't have won't need to have that memory uh, bandwidth anymore. Yeah, you don't need to have an external SD card. And yeah, even, you which don't, is, you don't need to have like a 50 terabyte <laughs> SD card. Yeah. For, right? True, true. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So do you want to talk about uh, podcasting? Oh yeah, we should get <laughs> to the point. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right, so like the, day, the reason I'm here today as well is also to talk about like uh, the state of podcasting in Malaysia, not sure. like uh, kind of like narrowed down on smaller or more independent podcasting groups. Sure. And one of the trends I noticed is like a lot of people got into podcasting during MCO. Yeah. Was it just kind of the hobby turned the thing? And for some people, is it a full-time job? Mm-hmm. And what kind of communities do you need to build from there? Yeah. So like, let's start with you. Yeah. You said that you sort of podcast started after the MCO. The first, Sorry. the first ever, I already started thinking about it for, I mean, for many years, mm-hmm. but that year in particular, I was like really seriously thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Then the MCO hit and then I, I guess that was like a disruptor in my life. Okay. And then I was like, okay, let's, um, you know, like life is short. Like, you know, I can't be that I've just like, you know, grown up and started a job and I've not really done like anything that I really love and mm-hmm. am passionate about. So that was like a disruptor, a positive disruptor, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. And do you just kind of jump into it blind or do you actually prepare like, these are like five, six topics I want to touch on. These no, are people I want to meet. No, no. It was pretty much blind. It was pretty much. I had like in the past when I would listen to, I would read like something and then I'd be like, oh, wouldn't it be great if I could like talk to this person? Or like, I would read about someone like really like random or weird. Mm-hmm. Then I'll be like, why doesn't this person have a platform? I wish I could give this person a platform. Okay. Uh, so that like, yeah, like on my podcast uh, a few episodes ago, I spoke to a high school friend okay. who had gone on to uh, study um, uh, malacology. Malacology? Okay. Malacology, I think that's what it's called. Basically the study of mollusks. Oh, and so basically, he's my, 
yeah, he specializes in snails. Mm-hmm. And so now he's in Australia. And one part of his job is like rescuing snails from affected by the Amazon bushfire. Okay. So like just people like that, like I find them so interesting. Or oh, another guy who, who did his doctorate uh, studying insects, mm-hmm. you know, and just like people like that who I never, growing up, I had never heard Malaysians with those stories. Yeah. So I always felt like in the past, if I had heard something like that, I'd be like, I wish they had a platform. So I guess going into the podcast, I had those people in the back of my mind, but I didn't have like a tangible plan. It was just me and a friend. Mm-hmm. He came over and we just like did a test run. That's about it. Okay. And before this, were you an active listener of podcasts? Um, you have a clear idea what it's supposed to feel like? Uh, I I wasn't like listening on Spotify, but I listened to a lot of like conversations on YouTube. Okay. So more like like Joe Rogan probably on YouTube, but that also not so much more like The Breakfast Club. And, and also I was a big fan of like late night talk shows. So mm. I guess my interest was always building conversations like that. Yeah. Okay. So it's really the interview format that what sticks to your mind when you think of podcasts? Yeah. Uh, not really interview. More like the conversational. Conversation. Like my favorite um, talk show, late night talk show hosts are people uh, are like Craig Ferguson who is able to make it like like basically improvise it hmm. and like all these interesting... Test his cards right before, right? Yeah. That's his thing, right? He tests the cue cards. It's like the whole thing is a deconstruction of the, hmm. the late night <laughs> uh, format like he has a, a gay skeleton uh, uh, assist uh, like assistant right? um, yeah kind of like Paul Schaefer but yeah but like, skeleton. <laughs> yeah like a robot skeleton gay yeah. robot skeleton um, so like but I like that those interviews he never scripted any of them but it could be so funny and it could it could lead you down a path where um, you discover things about a person that you had never planned to or, or never knew right Mm-hmm. Like um, some of his best, Craig Ferguson's best interviews is with uh, Robin Williams, mm. and like just seeing like those sometimes those formats could be so res- restrictive. But with Robin Williams and Craig Ferguson, like that's like Robin Williams at his extreme, at, not extreme, at his most free, mm. and it's like just like it's almost magic to kind of watch. So yeah, okay. So yeah, that's why you want to kind of like a free flow. Uh, how to say uh, stream of thought rather than a format talk show version yeah, yeah, yeah. like who's that horrible one Jimmy Kimmel <laughs> all yeah. of them well yeah all of, I, my I, <clears throat> the, the ones that I like are Craig Ferguson Conan O'Brien all of them gone <laughs> all are gone bro my favorites are gone the one who is actually not so bad in terms of like uh interviewing with a more formal structure is actually Graham Norton. I think Graham Norton is pretty oh, good. Oh, yeah. I yeah. watch a lot of his clips. Yeah, Graham Norton is pretty good. But like, I think like Stephen Colbert, I I'm, I was such a fan of Stephen Colbert. Mm-hmm. But then when I see his interviews now, I just think it's so, I don't know, man. It's just lackluster. Okay. Yeah. Lost that magic, you feel? Yeah, definitely. Even uh, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, you can just feel this, a wall. It's like, they have a, a fear, I think, of mm-hmm. going too far or of breaking some sort of taboo. And so there is a wall there, you know. And I'm definitely not a fan of that wall. The wall of format or something else? I think the format becomes, at that point, of the, the, the format becomes a, a, a crutch. You know, it becomes a crutch, definitely. Okay. 
And I noticed your podcasts tend to run a bit long. And you did say that you try, you don't edit, you just master for quality purposes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And why this kind of decision? Uh, again, I guess the point of this podcast is always to like capture a full conversation. Mm-hmm. That's one lah, to capture a full conversation and to sort of like leave it to like the podcast gods in terms of how it's going to turn out. If it's bad, it's going to be a bad episode in totality. If it's good, it's going to be a good episode in totality. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try and manufacture it to make it sound better in okay. that sense. Also, uh, in a more practical sense, I wanted to keep um, keep the production at a minimum. So because I'm also, I have a full-time job uh, and this is a hobby, I can't really afford to put too much of time into it, at least at this stage. Okay. So I had to keep it at a minimum. So have, not having to edit uh, gives me more flexibility in terms of like uh, the, the rate at which I can draw out the episodes. Are you looking to commercialize the podcast or perhaps move full time into it? If I could get <laughs> the numbers, yeah, definitely. Yeah, why not? <laughs> okay. But it's a tough market, man. It's a tough market. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned that it's also quite a small market, right? Like, yeah. why do you feel the Malaysian podcast state is in this state? And yeah. do you feel the future is to actually expand to more relations in Malaysia or just like break out into an international audience? Yeah, the reason why it's niche here, it's because actually the uh, English-speaking community in Malaysia is very small mm-hmm. compared to like the Malay-speaking. Uh, and on top of that, you have to factor the people who are maybe a bit more older and who, who just would not have a taste for podcasting mm-hmm. or people who are younger and would, not, would just not have a taste for podcasting. Yeah. And then you have to factor out the people who just are not interested in conversational formats, which is perfectly fine. Uh, and then you will come down to a very small subset of people. And with that small subset of people, you're going to be competing with other English-speaking, uh, other English-medium podcasts like, you know, like um, the BBC or uh, Joe Rogan or uh, I don't know what other, you know, um, those uh, other like Vox, you know, or NPR or Gimlet or whatever. Yeah. And so you're competing with all these really professionally, professional podcasts, really well done podcasts, and everybody has a certain bandwidth of what they can consume. Mm. So you're kind of like an underdog. Uh, so that's why I feel uh, it's a very niche market. And to your second point of like, do you think, do I think we should expand or look beyond Malaysia? I definitely do. I think one thing that I feel like Malaysian podcasts and even Singaporean podcasts have not done is bridge that gap. Because I think Malaysia and Singapore, you can assimilate. Hmm. Um, and I also think we can go to like uh, Indonesia and Philippines. Uh, the content is going to be a bit more, it has to be tailored a little bit, but I definitely think it's possible. I watched this podcast, uh, watch or listen to this podcast from America, uh, Tiger Belly. Okay. Uh, so it's like a, a comedian Bobby Lee, his uh, girlfriend, Kalila, they have a team. And because Kalila is uh, from the Philippines yep. and she went to America when she was a teenager and because Bobby Lee is, I mean, he's American, but, that, you know, he is South Korean. Mm-hmm. But because especially Kalila is from Philippines and the producer is also uh, Filipino, mm-hmm. you can, there's a real Asian feel to the podcast that comes out like really clearly. Okay. Uh, and also sometimes the things they talk about 
uh, and even you know they they have even spoken about like Malaysia at certain points because they talk they talk about like Southeast Asia. Okay. So I think there is a there's a nexus that can be reached lah when it comes to yeah Asian podcasts. So perhaps branding uniquely Southeast Asian Malaysian content, but for a wider audience and English speaking. English speaking. Yeah. So if there's not enough English uh, uh, consumers in Malaysia, I think we can pull. Uh, English consumers from uh, Singapore, Philippines, I mean Brunei, uh, Indonesia. Yeah, I think we can do that. Okay. And what about your own listening community? Yeah. Is there a community beyond this, the listeners, or how to you build your following? Uh, the where we are right now is that we have like a small, dedicated following. Hmm. You know, so it is. Uh, group of people who I guess they are part of this community uh, and they are coming in on a weekly basis to listen to the podcast. So in that sense, I I, I don't feel like worried that I'm going to have like zero viewership. There's yeah. always going to be that baseline. The issue is actually getting more people to listen uh, and to get more people uh, to join uh, their community. Lab. Because again, the bandwidth for a lot of people you know it, it varies but for a lot of people that they only have a certain bandwidth and it's already occupied by like western media basically okay yeah. and you're saying that this is of a part-time or hobby gig yeah but in terms of growing a podcast there's going to be a lot of marketing effort as well right yeah uh even if you can't expand the podcast in terms of like production or you know maybe not ready for that Yeah. Do you feel like you want to push the, at least the marketing? Are you doing the marketing for it aggressively or trying to like collab or is there a growth effort? My, yeah, there is a growth effort. My, my growth effort right now, my main next step is actually to get my content on YouTube. Okay. I actually think like for all podcasters, I mean, there are some like uh, podcast purists who believe that podcasts should only be audio. Mm-hmm. But I personally believe that uh, like podcast platforms like Spotify are not actually very podcast friendly mm-hmm. and I feel YouTube is much more friendlier in terms of pushing out your content. You know, if you can get your content on TikTok, even better. Uh, and because these platforms, they push your content for you and also it's easier for people to revisit past episodes. Okay. So for me, it's just like getting my stuff on YouTube and it's a bit tricky because um, I got like the audio down but the video like getting the cameras and you know all of that that is the kind of the hurdle so youtube and tiktok and more traditional social media sites tend to push content more effectively than say spotify, spotify. definitely i mean you can just like go on your spotify uh, app and let's say you want to if you're just scrolling the first thing is not even just scroll through spotify but mm. even if you were to scroll through spotify you don't really see anything recommended for you. They actually just only uh, started recommending yeah. like new songs and new artists and all that, right? I mean, that's been a long time. They've only recently started recommending podcasts. Yeah, podcasts, sorry. Yeah, correct, correct. So, it's like a very new feature. But let's say you listen to one episode. Hmm. They don't recommend like another episode. You get what I'm saying? Whereas with YouTube, if you listen to an episode of something, yeah. they have like a recommended right next to it. And yeah. so, you can go through this like, I mean, we've all been in the like, YouTube wormhole, right? Yeah. So, so it's like a passive marketing effort. 
in yeah. that sense. Yeah. And it's also like uh, more, it gives you bang for your buck in terms of an episode you release because there's a chance that an episode will be released. So like, for example, if I'm listening or watching Tiger Belly on mm-hmm. YouTube, I could go back to their first episode very easily. Okay. You know? Yeah. Interesting. And the visual aspect though, I mean, how long did it take you to get to a level where you feel your audio is where you want it to be? Uh, that didn't take too long actually. Um, maybe about, from when I started, maybe about uh, two months, you know, it didn't take too long. Okay. Um, actually getting audio on is not too difficult. Um, yeah, it's not too difficult. It's definitely doable. I see you have some... Guitars in the background and speakers <laughs> and such. Yeah, but that's my my dad and my brother are musicians. Ah, okay. So I kind of just like hijacked their mics and whatever I could just hijack, I hijacked and assembled yeah. it together. So do you have like a familiarity with audio or just kind of like secondhand at least? A little bit, I guess. I guess I would have a better year for, for music. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Being exposed to it for, since I was a kid. So I did definitely going into the podcast, I definitely did want the podcast to sound a particular way. Okay. That was important to me. And so I would not have released the podcast until I got it, until I was confident that it sounded the way I wanted it to sound. You know, I didn't want it to be like, you know, I didn't want it to sound like two people talking in a mama. You know, I didn't want that to be like, oh, like big echo or I didn't want it to sound like it was a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to sound like a particular way. And okay. So yeah, that was important. Was that difficult to achieve during... Uh, a pandemic though I mean um, getting people to visit or well move in. that was like after the first MCO so it was yeah. still okay, okay. Um, of course this after the first MCO the CMCOs all they were fine the problem came with the next MCO there was a subsequent MCO hmm. so that was a bit of an issue we had to stop our we tried doing online uh, recordings but it's just a little bit different uh, so yeah yeah. the quality wasn't satisfactory or such uh, one is the audio quality uh, like I would sound fine but the person on the other end it would sound like a zoom call hmm. uh, and also there's just in terms of building a conversation with someone you know because there's like a delay hmm. um, sometimes you speak over each other sometimes there's like an internet disruption so I f- didn't find it conducive lah Especially if there's like an internet disruption, it can be like a big hindrance and it really like affects the flow and rhythm of the conversation. And if you don't add it, this is catastrophic for the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fair enough. So how long do you take a break from? It's quite a while, man. I think it was like three, four months. Yeah, three, four months. Yeah. Okay. Do you feel also with your job during the MCU, you had a lot more free time in this sense? Or at least time at home? No, not really. Not for my job. I was still quite busy. So how do you find time between like the day job and this hobby, which sounds like quite time intensive, right? How much time does an episode take you to complete in terms of lining up, yeah. interviewing, mastering? Um, the biggest, I think the thing that takes the most time is the lining up uh, because you have to like research who you want on, Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to kind of like read and listen to their stuff to make sure that they are kind of compatible. Then of course it's the scheduling and then it's like really common for there to be like last minute cancellations. Um, yeah, last minute backouts and you have to get like another person to come in. So that can be a bit tricky. 
Um, but when it comes to the recording itself, again, because like my uh, my format is very conversational. And there's no like pre, there's no like major, you know, like editing. So that's not much of a problem. And also like the after, mm. um, yeah, it's not much of an issue because the mastering, I have like actually, like there's actually a team that helps me. I have two uh, friends who help me out. Uh, one helps me with the social media and one helps me with the audio. So there's a bit of a division of labor there. So it's not too bad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's your part of your marketing team, I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everyone's kind of like doing this on the side or like a... Mm. Okay. Like my friend who helps me with social media is a lawyer. Corporate mm. lawyer. So, yeah. Lawyers got to stick together. Huh? <laughs> of course, man. Of course. <laughs> or we need to like jump ship together. <laughs> or build a raft together to get out of this island. <laughs> Hmm. So, partially, it's like this is a passion project, yeah. something you actively wanted to do. Yeah. But do you feel like there was some dissatisfaction with your day job as well? You're not achieving like. Yeah, I always say like I'm like because I'm a lawyer by profession, but I think in my even my first episode, I remember saying this: I'm like a lawyer with a with a small L, not with a capital L. Okay. Like you know, some people like really, they are lawyers with a capital L. Like that is their purpose in life. That's what drives them. They are very passionate about practice. Mm. Uh, and they find like great fulfillment in it. For me, like law was always like a, a means to an end. You know, it's more, was always more of a, a, a job rather than my purpose in life. Lah. So I guess in that sense, yeah, I was trying to, the podcast is also a product of me trying to figure out who I want to be. And also I guess talking to all these this diverse groups of people also mm-hmm. help me kind of like put that in perspective. Like who do I want to be? You know? And what's been your most satisfying thing about running this podcast for about a year plus? Uh, yeah, a year plus. Uh, again, just talking to all these like people that otherwise I would not have had the opportunity to talk to. I think that's pretty cool. I also building connections with other podcasters has been really, really fun. It's just like basically people that I don't think otherwise I would have had the reason to meet or connect with. Okay. Um, so like you know I've met like you know artists and musicians and um, yeah like just like people in academia um, just different you know unique sets of people um, yeah like I said like I've you know built relationships with like Aisa from Seek to Speak um, there's uh, the Yamcha Session Boys uh, Harid from the Comedy Podcast um, yeah mm-hmm. Renegade Radio, Kelvin and his team. It's a yeah. pretty small circle you'd feel? I mean, yeah, we are basically all indie, indie podcasters. La. Renegade is like the most legit of all of us. Mm-hmm. But the rest of us all, we are just pretty indie. Uh, and so we kind of stick together. Uh, there's another group of podcasters that are uh, more, they are more YouTubers first and podcasters second. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, your Ming Ting, your Fashion Week, your Genie Boy, your matcha men. Uh, oddly enough, like people who listen to one of them listen to all of them. Mm-hmm. And I think for the this other group of us, the ones who listen to, if you're like, you're listening to Aisa, there's a high chance you're listening to myself or to Renegade mm-hmm. and vice versa. We're all kind of connected in that those circles. Uh, then you also have like the Bahasa podcast and the Mandarin podcast uh, that have their own like kind of like groupings, uh, communities. 
Apple Podcasts, I don't really hear of. I'm sure there are, uh, but I'm not connected to that community, so I don't know. Okay. They might be sitting on a pot of gold and like <laughs> theoretically tapping a huge market. Uh, well, I can't speak Tamil, so I can't, you know. But you might be right. There might be like a gold mine there. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And also, also like Indian people uh, culturally, like conversation is so important. Yeah. The ability to like talk and express yourself culturally is really powerful. Like as kids, you know, like for Indian families, it's always like, uh, you know, oh, look at him talk like that. You know, the more, uh, the more a child can speak in, like uh, speak in I don't the more a like, child can speak like an adult the more impressed the adults are so there's like an incentivization for uh, Indian uh, children to learn how to speak well or speak a lot okay. and so you grow up with that so like Indian Indian people culturally love conversations so actually I think there were a lot that this community would definitely be like what might just stick to podcasting very strongly. Okay. So you might be right. Do you feel that kind of informed how you like this idea of conversations rather than interviews or serial episodic kind of format? Maybe, maybe. But in my family, I've always been more of the quieter one. So yeah. going to ask, do you feel you're like an extrovert or introvert in that sense? You yeah, people, are, meeting so many people. people ask that a lot. Uh, I, I'm definitely an introvert for <laughs> sure. Uh, but like more like uh, uh, on the more maybe on the surface level an extrovert but deep down really an introvert like at heart I, I always say that I was a I'm an introvert that grew up with extroverts yeah you know and that's always the begrudging answer <laughs> yeah like, how come you can introvert but socialize like, <laughs> eh, learn to live with it though. yeah it's true though it's true though like whenever I'm like I have to meet new people and especially if it's a setting like a podcast setting is different hmm. see I think a podcast setting is similar to like uh, a teacher setting there is a a structure or a space that makes it a little bit more, you know what to expect. So it's a little bit more comfortable. But if I were to go meet like new people like for dinner, it would be like, it would make me a bit, a little bit anxious. Like, it would make me feel a little bit weird. Okay. You know, yeah. You're like more control in a podcast setting. Yeah. You're in control basically. Okay. Yeah. You can just turn off someone's mic and be like, yeah, you don't get it out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I could literally kick you out of the house. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. So you've kind of gone like where you've gone with and how you choose your, I mean, uh, let's dig in a bit more into how you choose your, uh, in, not interviews, what we call them, um, guess. your guests. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Sometimes you know about them, like your friend who studied Molask, yeah. but do you just like randomly browse? Actually, even at my friend, I went lost touch with him. Okay. So another friend told me like, hey, you should talk to him because he's doing like this really, really cool thing now. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah. Then just like, and then I think he reached out to me on LinkedIn also. Oh. He said he listened to the podcast. It was really cool. And I said, yeah, I was just talking about you. Let's connect. And I literally hadn't spoken to him in like, I don't know, over like uh, 11 years maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the guests, some of them are kind of quite randomly found, but do you have a process where you try to dig around and like, okay, let's find someone who's properly in unknown? Yeah. Definitely. Sometimes I'm like, I look at my guests and I'm like, okay, I've covered like, you know, I've, I've okay, I've spoken to a few people in academia, so let's let's move away from that now. We can come back to that. I try to like, you know, keep it like a bit diverse. 
sometimes also I, I look at like, oh, I've been talking to a lot of guys. Uh, there's been a lot of masculine energy. Maybe time to get a girl on. Mm-hmm. You know, so I do things like that. Um, yeah, and I was just I sort of think, I think about like, you know, who do I want to talk to and try and find out. Like there's, I mean, okay, I'll just put this on the podcast. Whoever can hook me up. I've actually been really dying to, I had this idea and it just burned in my brain, but I really want to do it. I want to talk to an embalmer. Ah, Korea is unusual. They yeah. talk to the people like that. Yeah, I, I, I want to talk to like an embalmer to like, just, I, I would love to know like why a person got into embalming mm. and like how, what's the day to day and how does it feel to like embalm a body and like, you know, see, uh, you know, bodies on like a daily basis and like, because it's such a taboo to it. Mm. And I wonder how society sort of perceives them. I have no, I don't know anyone who's an embalmer. Okay. But I would imagine if my friend was an embalmer, it would be a bit interesting, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think embalming is like just part of the job scope. I think overall they're called morticians. Yeah. So, but it depends on what you're doing. Yeah. Because some people specialize in just embalming. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people like, when you talk about morticians, you're talking about people who like, do like sort of the overall yeah, uh, but like they prepare the body, they ah, do yeah, the yeah, yeah, work, but sometimes preparing Not, the body also requires an embalming. Embalming process la, to mm-hmm. preserve the body. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, Because yeah. Uh, I think it was Vox, maybe. Uh, they had a great series on like um, asking professionals to talk about their skill set or yeah. even like how realistic are these scenes in movies or such. Yeah. There was this very charming embalming guy. Completely, yeah. like, I mean, I know embalming guy. He was a mortician, but he, embalming was a lot of the conversation sure. because he talks about like the dignity of the dead and like how to dress them and the, yeah it, it's a very potentially good topic yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so I was googling trying to find like a Malaysian I just couldn't it's because you don't want to get just anybody you need to like know that they can they have something to say at the same yeah. time so but the only one I could find was there was a YouTube video on a Singaporean ah. uh, lady a young lady uh, and her whole family is in the business. And she has such a cool story because I think she was one of the first female morticians uh, in Singapore. Yeah. And like, it was taboo for, for her, like growing up, a lot of uh, people told her, you're a, you're a woman, you know, you don't, mm-hmm. it's not, not a type of job you should do. Okay. And she did it because I guess her father was in the business as well. Mm-hmm. Her father passed away and she wanted to do it. And her mom was dead against it. Oh, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Did against it, mm. and she just like re- re- rebelled against the mom, and she went into the industry. Mm. And until today, the mom is still against it. So they even interviewed the mom, and the mom said, "You know, still I don't like I still don't like it. I still keep telling her to get out of it. You know, it was such a cool story. Like there must be a Malaysian equivalent. You know, how mm. have we not you know done this? But yeah, seriously, check out the uh, backlog of BFM episodes. Right. Uh, because at some point, Nirvana uh-huh. worked with BFM to highlight all the memorial service stuff. Oh shoot. Um, I haven't seen this advertisement until like a few years back. I think they got rid of it. Yeah. Because um, I drive past the Nirvana Memorial Center quite a bit. Yeah. They had this giant banner for the white ladies. These are trained female morticians. So oh. they would like, will treat your deceased with respect. Uh, like there's, there's always this concern, right? Yeah. Like my ama or grandma is like, I want another woman, I guess, to be right, handling the corpse. Right, right, right. And like, so it's also insane to say it's the woo for women, but also want women to handle women. Kind of yeah, 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 yeah. So there, they definitely exist. Right, as, right, right. As far as the advertising is concerned, lah. The thing, the BFM, lah. They're always one step ahead, lah. Oh man, damn it, man. 
for yeah maybe brute force just like straight up straight to Nirvana it's like I'm not like looking for uh, advertising hand up but like I think you guys are cool yeah. you got some auditions that can speak like English like proficiently <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah 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 I should reach out to them that'll yeah. be interesting but yeah so like basically like people like I have like ideas that I want to talk mm-hmm. to this type of person and then like just try to get it get it together oh, that's yeah. why you're saying like, lining it up is the most difficult part yeah. actually finding a dude who can and wants to speak yeah 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 I even sent an email to the Singapore lady. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was just like, hey, I watched your YouTube video. Any interest in coming on this podcast? You can do it online. I don't mind because the story was so interesting. But I didn't get a reply. I didn't email her that I emailed like the company that she's attached to. Ah, okay. So, but I didn't get a reply. But, you know, it's part and parcel of... Long shot. Yeah, yeah. It's always like that. Long. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's another thing. Like, you have to be thick-skinned because you all, you know, you don't know these people. So, you're just reaching out to them. And so a lot of times there are going to be rejections, you know, so, uh, and for me, like those rejections don't really affect me because I kind of went into it knowing that, you know, and I'd rather you tell me you don't want to come on, you know, than force yourself to come on or whatever. So, yeah. So I've gotten a few rejections. Okay. Have you had like a belligerent guest before? Like you thought it was going to be a cool interview, then they just turned out to be kind of raging assholes. So you press the trigger button or something. No, 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 nothing like that. I've had uh, uh, guess what I thought it was going to be super interesting, who turned out to be not so interesting. That happens. That's painful. Yeah, but you know it's part and parcel again, and yeah, that's the the risk you take when you do like a conversational format. Now everyone who's been interviewed by you is like going to listen back and like, <laughs> Where am board? I the one? Where am I the one? But even the ones who are, who are like not or was not as entertaining as I had hoped I still appreciate them coming on you know and I personally would have enjoyed the conversation I've never not enjoyed the conversation it's just more like I know that people are listening you know they might tune off lah. Hmm. you know but for me like you know sometimes I have like guests who I, I really enjoy the conversation but you see the viewership it's not like as good as some other episodes but for me like I would not have done it any other way I enjoyed the conversation so like you know some of those Conversations are for me as well. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we did want to ask about that. Do you analyze or care or like, do you obsess about your stats? Uh, not obsessed, but definitely to look at them to see like how an episode is going uh, mm. and to roughly um, assess uh, well, how the podcast is being received. Okay. Like after my uh, long break, uh, after the MCU, second MCO, uh, our numbers went down mm. like a, by a lot. You know, I thought that us coming back with the first episode, we would have more uh, views because it's like we're back after a long time. But yeah. it was actually the opposite. People moved on. People moved on. Yeah. So I'm actually in the process of like rebuilding, <laughs> rebuilding. So a lot of it is like community, la, community and, and consistency la, to build that community. Yeah. Do you have any targets in terms of like frequency or length even? Uh, freq- uh, of Fre- episodes frequency of yeah, episodes yeah yeah frequency uh, once a week once a week once yeah. a week that's my and target reading like something like 5 to 14 days are the ideal release dates right yeah yeah, yeah not yeah. too often not too yeah not too long okay. yeah so but for me once a week is usually what I do hmm. actually when I first started I actually had a pretty good record up to that MCO and then hmm. it kind of like threw me off my, my game lah. okay do you try to stockpile then? Like say, uh-huh. I mean, at some point you want to go on a holiday, right? You can't be 
oh sorry I can't like take time off because I'm doing podcasts yeah so week. normally yeah. in those cases like the week before I would do a double episode like, ah, okay, okay. yeah I do that I don't have like a bank where I have I should have I should do that just to keep one episode spare in case of emergency mm. uh, but as of now I have I don't have that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. okay it's like a finite amount of time right yeah 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 exactly Okay. Uh, let's see. In terms of numbers, the frequency, the length that like you were saying, like you let it flow how it goes, right? Yeah. You don't have a target length. I think the longest we've done is like two hours ish. It's like Rogan length. <laughs> Rogan is three hours plus, which is insane. He just keeps going longer and longer. Though. It's insane. Yeah, I think that I think he just did Jordan Peterson for like four hours. It's it's insane, like It's it's really really long. Mm. When you do podcasting, you realize how long that is. That is really long form content, I, and yeah, it's just very very long. Yeah. But it's also because it's like a natural flow, not edited down, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you feel but, like you want to do live then, uh, or still safe to record? I still think it's safer because for me, it's just like I need because of my equipment, I need to master the sound. Okay. Yeah, it it, it won't like if you were to do live now, it would not like I would be louder, you would be softer, yeah, and all okay. that. I don't have the equipment where it would you know balance it out nicely live. Because I feel like some of the podcasters that are YouTubers, yeah. they do the live YouTube and then they release the podcast afterwards anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Also. That's I think true. Malam Serum is uh, live, right? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. like he, it really looks like, remember back then like TV9 when they don't broadcasting anything? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They can play games and interact with each other and then there's some guy vaguely interacting with the humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you can send in like, what is your scary story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Send in how that made you like feel. Like a text right? message kind of. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised he doesn't like charge you 50 cents for a text <laughs> message. You have that a lot with um, Twitch now. Mm. You know, that's kind of like that model as well. Okay. Podcasting is interesting, man. I mean, even like now the Joe Rogan conversation. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of Joe Rogan. I go to Joe Rogan when like I see the guest is good and mm-hmm. I just go listen because it's more for the guest because like, Listening to someone talk for like three, four hours can be very revealing. Yeah. Like if you go listen to like an episode of Kanye West on Joe Rogan, that's like Kanye West like never before. Mm. I mean, now recently there's some, he's doing a lot more podcasts, but like up to that point, like I never heard Kanye West like just have like a full stream of consciousness for like four hours, right? Mm. And it's like so enlightening. You can really get to know like a person. But I've not been the biggest Joe Rogan fan, but like now, like Joe Rogan has been on the spotlight. You know, because of, uh, you know, Neil Young and uh, yeah. Johnny Mich- Mitchell and all yeah, these people. Also being a racist anti-vaxxer. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is like, to me, even though I'm not the biggest uh, Joe Rogan fan, uh, I think cancelling Joe Rogan would be like the worst idea. I, I think, think monetarily wise, they wouldn't do it. Long. It's 100 yeah. million contract. Can you imagine renegating on that? But I was reading yesterday... Uh, uh, I was reading yesterday that they would they did like uh, one of these companies did like a call survey. Mm-hmm. I mean, and these call surveys are always you know you never know how true they are, mm-hmm. but apparently like twenty percent of people that they had spoken to has said that they had cancelled their sub- subscription to Spotify oh. based on or plan uh, sorry cancelled or planned to cancel okay. their subscription uh, to Joe Rogan. Plan, yeah. yeah. To, Joe Rog- uh, to Spotify because of the Joe Rogan incident. So, that, I mean, if there is a lot, a big enough number of people who are canceling their subscriptions to Spotify and 
looking at the share market, you know, their share value tanking, yep. you know, it could be a factor. And even if Joe Rogan is not affected, but it's like people like Joe Rogan, other indie podcasts, you know, Spotify will be deterred from, you know, engaging with them. Mm. Because it's like a liability now, right? So maybe Joe Rogan will be fine. But it's like the Joe Rogan juniors. It's, you know, the future Joe Rogans. Uh, I mean, even with Netflix, it's like the future Dave Chappelle. It's the people with controversial views, right? How do we deal with them, you know? Mm. It's it's interesting. Yeah, I will... Hmm, I think it's not just about controversial views. A lot of people have... Every view is controversial to someone else. True. It's about being uh, careless. See the C-A-L-L-O-U-S, not careless. All right, right. your view. Like, yeah, Dave Chappelle has some great opinions and ideas about things and his delivery is usually fun. Yeah. But he's gotten only in trouble more recently because he just like, it's just unnecessarily rude and taking, it's a general opinion is you have to punch up when you're doing comedy. Yeah. If you like bring troops to power, then people laugh along with you. But he's taking like pot shots at yeah. marginalized communities. At that point, people are like, yeah, that's just mean though. Yeah. And that got him in trouble. And so you could, you could, on that basis, you could not listen or you could stop listening to his content. Mm-hmm. But to like call him, uh, to cancel him, like not give him like job opportunities or to, um, I mean, it's not like Dave Chappelle needs it, but to cancel him or to even label him as automatically like a bigot to me seems a bit odd because if you listen to the entire Dave Chappelle special, The Closer, right? Mm. Aside from the pot shots, you can't say that Dave Chappelle is hate stranded to people. Mm-hmm. If you if you really, in fact, if you listen to the entire thing, you he tells a story where you empathize with the transgender community. Mm. So like, if the transgender community is like, if you listen to Dave Chappelle, you're going to go around beating up transgender people. That's just, that's wild. Yeah. That's not true. It's just not, 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 not true. Yeah. You know, yeah, so... I mean, I, even Hannah Gatsby, right? She was saying that very loud gay people make her uncomfortable because she's a very introverted gay person. Do I need to be loud? She was like joking. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, that's so cute. <laughs> but you know, like, Dave Chappelle has that Hannah Gatsby joke. Oh, she also made a joke about Hannah Gatsby. Okay. Uh, I, I, it's, I after, it's after the closer. Okay. So he was doing uh, like a, another like uh, a stand-up segment. I mean, a stand-up thing. Mm. Then he was addressing the the closer drama and all okay. that. Then he said, like, uh, you know, I, I'm willing to meet with the transgender community, but I have three requirements. Mm-hmm. One, uh, you have to come to me. I'm not going to come to you, right? Okay. Two, it has to be a place of my choosing, like a safe space. Three, we all have to agree that Hannah Gatsby is not funny. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> he's Dave Chappelle you know yeah. <laughs> he's gonna go for the joke all the time but like yeah. even Joe Rogan Joe Rogan is even more difficult I feel like Dave Chappelle to me I really don't see the issue because topic to topic basis uh, yeah like a, you could, it could be a bad joke mm-hmm. but it's a bad joke that's what it is it's still a joke Joe Rogan is difficult because he was talking about something that's really really dicey and also important and it, this question about misinformation Mm. Right, like even in Malaysia, how many journalists have been called up to the balai because yeah. of misinformation? Right. Um, in fact, I think some people have. I, you know, that last year there was that lady. I don't know what 
where she was reporting reporting what she was reporting for but i think she criticized the government she was a journalist she criticized the government for releasing the the china nationals from the boat ah yeah yeah, yeah that one that, it was that malay journalist like the lady yeah. i can't remember her name yeah but i know uh, you about yeah and she like i think she got prison which or she almost faced prison time for that uh she's going through a court proceeding uh, yeah it's ongoing those things could take quite a long time yeah and she but she could be facing up to 1 to 6 years if i'm not mistaken yeah. which to me it seems a bit extreme but again it comes down to this question of like misinformation and how 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 much people should be responsible for misinformation mm. and what is misinformation you know yeah. that's another thing right also feels like it's not is the exact opposite of crying over spilled milk it's the fact that the information is out there it's already the damage is done it's like pandora's box yeah yeah punish person all you want but the damage is done yeah. the effort needs to be more about addressing the damage that's yeah uh, like say you have an oil spill right yeah sure find the hell out of the oil company but like what is your quick term solution in stopping an entire gulf from being destroyed by the oil yeah yeah, yeah. every time misinformation goes out punish the people whatever like it's up to you yeah. it's your prerogative but there needs to be more effort in like how do you fix the damage that's already been done yeah and i guess we, for, for me i feel like with joe rogan a better approach now everyone is just talking about canceling joe rogan mm-hmm. it distracts from actually talking about what was raised at that podcast episode and engaging with those issues which can be done and the problem with joe rogan i mean the problem with like trying to sort of cancel Joe Rogan is that Joe Rogan is actually not like someone who's like a hardline libertarian law. Yeah, he's not someone like of bad faith per se. He's not like a a, a Trump uh he's not like a Fox reporter. Like you can actually he has like a diverse set of views hmm. that ranges from liberal to conservative and he's someone that you can actually talk to and change you can change his mind in real time. Hmm. So it just seems Like if you are dealing with a bad faith actor, it's one thing, but it, it's a bit different when you're dealing with someone who's willing to have a conversation, it, because he's even had people on who's had different views. I feel is the biggest problem with him is his audience as well. Yeah. In the attempting to defend him, they are incredibly destructive towards other people. Yeah. And with this kind of defense around him, like he'd be like, "Oh, maybe I am right. Maybe I don't need to change my opinion on things," and that could distort. His ability to progress. I don't It could know, be man. dangerous, man. That one I'm not too sure because I don't know. One thing is this view in particular, this issue in particular. There's two camps. There's the people who are saying that, are like, if you are not vaccinated, for example, then you're killing me, right? Then there's another group of people who are saying that if you vaccinate me, you are trying to kill me. There's these two groups of people that are uh, promised the vax people getting vaccines are not dying so it's a hard argument it's kind of follow argument that say yeah i mean of course the like research shows that you know you know but there are like there are side effects for the vaccines for example hmm. and you know what do you say to that person that one person who is hit by the hmm. that's why i don't believe in vaccine mandates lah i don't believe in vaccine mandates because i think like in the end of the day the person that's going to If there is anything that goes wrong, it's that person who has to face the consequence, or, or you know, who has to deal with the consequences in their lives. It's part of a shoddy form of societal contract, ah. 
mm. like you have agreed to all this other bullshit like is this where you draw the line yeah okay. like taxation for subjects you don't in that do you don't want to pay for you're okay with that it's like say you disagree with the usage of police force or military force yeah. but you just blindly pay your tax right you are supporting and funding the police directly yeah but so, i mean but the problem is with 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 covid and vaccines the effect it, it affects you in a tangible way personally mm. you know yeah. like like for example if i pay my tax and let's say i don't know la we the government launches their military and they go freaking conquer brunei it does you know it affects me in like a very like the chain of abstract way you yeah. know it's really really far hmm. whereas me getting vaccinated it's something very personal to me hmm. and in my and if anything goes wrong it affects me personally we well, actually yeah. it's more like required identification yeah. you want to drive get a driving license like okay okay like yeah. You want to go out and do stuff like go to the mall or eat in restaurant, get a vaccine. Like, but but I don't want to get vaccinated. I'm not forcing you to get vaccinated. Yeah. But you can't go and do a restaurant now. Yeah. Like, that's not fair. It's like, I just make the rules. Yeah. It's kind of jerkish to people who want to live their fullest life, and yeah. then you can create the argument of is this right to life? Yeah. But in a very short stop, crude manner of how we execute laws. Yeah. It really is like I feel no different than getting a driving license. Yeah, I I. If they remove the option to opt out entirely, that's a really slippery slope. Yeah. It's going way too far. But it's not unrealistic to expect repercussions for refusing to participate in societal norms. Like my my thing is always like if if we um want to make it like compulsory for everybody to get vaccinated. I can't do that. Can't make it compulsory. Uh, no, let's say it's a vaccine mandate. Okay, right. Like a vaccine mandate. Like, let's say it's like a, for government service hmm. uh, uh, staff, right? Everybody has to get vaccinated if you want to be uh, working in the government. Yeah. Are we going to also like get rid of those uh, exclusion of liability forms that you have to sign? Are we going to compensate someone who, who is adversely affected? Why? Because there is going to be, it'll be a small, very small group of people. Hmm. But there will be some people who are adversely affected. Economically, yeah, do it. Yeah, I think that would be much, much more helpful. You hmm. know, I think that would be much, much more helpful. But I don't see that so far. But anyway, but coming back down, to, coming back to this point about Joe Rogan and like talking about, um, about censorship, like how much do you censor people? How much do you, The answer is you don't. You ask them to change. Yeah. Because if you censor him, yeah, you kick him off Spotify, right? Yeah. He's crazy popular. He'll just go to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. So there's no way to stop him from getting his message out. But maybe get him to introspect and be like, is this really the message and legacy you want to get out? Yeah. And also their views will just faster, right? If they're not engaged with it. Hmm. These, are, these are things that people are already thinking about. You end up voting for Trump law. Yeah. Like that didn't resolve the anger. Yeah. And also like those conversations that could be like um, things that are legit within amongst the things that are not legit. Like mm-hmm. for example, like early on talk, talking about um, uh, lockdowns was like really taboo, right? To talk about lockdowns when the lockdowns first started out. Mm-hmm. But actually, I think there was a, actually a very important conversation that needed to be had about lockdowns because it's like now looking back, it's not obvious when it, 
of course, we have the benefit of uh, our ability to look back now lah, hmm. and say that actually, it's not obvious that in a pandemic, you want to immediately lock down people and keep them in their houses because there's so many other things. There's like social implications, like, you know, the suicides hmm. or the economical implications or even like the way the virus spread and just keeping people in their houses yeah. and people not exercising and things like that. So there are so many other things. So, yeah, but I feel like in real time, those conversations maybe should have been encouraged rather than put down. The conversations should definitely be more loud now because we have data. Yeah. We've looked at several lockdowns and if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, then we'll, let's see what the data says. Huh? But I feel Malaysian policy is not largely driven by data. Huh? What do you think is driven by? Emotion and generally people's opinion. Uh, because like by lockdown two, towards that, towards the end of it, it was quite random. Like, is this even a lockdown? It's like, upper definition lockdown? Oh, tak boleh pergi mamak pukul 12. It's like, really? It's like, so... They kind of vaguely want to say that they're doing lockdown, but it's also based on what people are complaining. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So factory operators are like, no, I got to work. Like, you can't stop me because like, then you won't get food. Then the government's like, oh shit, we need the food. So we should let like factories run full service. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, well, that's not inherently bad, but like maybe social distancing, how do you do that in factories? And are the factories fully vaccinated? To be fair, a lot of factories like, really push to get their staff vaccinated. So, yeah, sure. But you can't just like have blanket like, okay, we're going to lock it all down. Then like two, three people complain like, oh, okay. So, uh, we'll open restaurants, yeah, but not bars. Oh, okay. Uh, and then you can open later, yeah, but no live music. What? Okay. So, what if you're like a cafe, you close by five, but you can have like a busker. Like, uh, it's all good, yeah, except the busker, yeah. Do this. You have to shut down. You, you cannot open, you have a busker. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, but it's like just cosmetic law, basically. Yeah, if it's like statistic, like, okay, we've determined like wet markets are festering ground of COVID. Like, maybe we should like tune that shit out. Like, okay. Yeah. But if it's actually like, well, in fact, we found that people going to work and post circulation is like the result of causing a lot of COVID cases. And like, okay, maybe don't go to office. Yeah. That one is like data, Decision, data decision. Or like you, they, they found that cloth masks are not effective. Then stop using cloth masks, use a mask that is more appropriate, right? Yeah. yeah. Fair enough, right? Like, at least, even if I disagree or don't like it, it's like, shit, but you make sense. Maybe I should agree. Yeah. It's just that you can't buckle to lobbies every time yeah. and then expect the lockdown to have any effect. It's then you hurt everybody. Mm. So, yeah. Certain parts of lockdown may work, certain parts don't work. It's part of a solution, not a total answer. And mm-hmm. uh, this is going to be like a nice shit show. Like now after CNY, all the cases gone up. It's like, this is going to be racial. Yeah. Is it going to be racial? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, every time we have like a, a big holiday, it's always like, if it's riot, then Chinese and Indians are saying that Malay people get special treatment. Yeah. Then when it's Chinese New Year, Malay and Indian, well, more Malay than Indian, I suppose. Mm. Malay people say that Chinese people get special treatment. True, then true. when it comes to like Taipusum or whatever, Indian people say, yeah, as always, uh, we are marginalized. And the government <laughs> rolls out in the worst way possible, right? Yeah. Ahead of Chinese New Year, until like a few days before, they won't show what the SOP the protocol was. Yeah. But he was like, don't worry, whatever it is about Chinese New Year, yeah, Hari Raya, you can go balik kampung. Like, <laughs> chill lah, that's a few months. You can change your mind later. Don't <laughs> agree to anything first. Tapi it's like, okay, but what about our reunion dinner? Wait, wait, I'm talking about Raya still. Can we talk about your reunion dinner? It's tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, 
See, yeah, it's yeah. not just that the delivery of the message has a lot to yeah. be worked on. But Malaysia officials have always had like a perception problem, a messaging problem, for sure. I have no idea, man. Like, you think studying politics, I mean, now the younger ones probably actually actively study politics. Wouldn't that come with like some PR lessons no, or I don't training? Think so. I don't think so, man. I think they need to go for like marketing lessons. <sighs> yeah, man. Like, you know, like, remember when that uh, that girl, that, that the Malay girl, uh, what? Uh, Aina, the, who called out the teacher for the rape jokes. Yeah. Right? And then the government's response was super defensive. Mm. Like, where? Where are the cases? You know, show us, you know, like. But for me, it's so weird. Like, even if, right, that that something was blown out of proportion, that someone had taken, like, one incident. And, yeah, but she was and, highlighting her incident, right? Like, yeah. it's a truism. Yeah, and... The problem, the point is that people are upset. Mm. People are worried about the issue. Shouldn't you like validate what they are saying and say like, okay, we hear you. These are the steps we are taking to ensure A, B, C, D, E. Mm-hmm. We are doing these investigations to figure out A, B, C, D, E. In the short term, we're also firing the teacher. That would be a nice Yeah, touch. yeah, yeah. Or, okay, you don't have to fire immediately, but do an investigation and be transparent about the mm-hmm. investigation. What are the findings of the investigation? Make sure that the investigation is done by an independent party. Is there even an independent party for this? I don't know. I don't. He was transferred, right? He was transferred. Classic, to, uh. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. I just feel like you don't have to... Perception is such a big thing. If people are perceiving you to be a particular way, then you need to address the perception. It doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong. You can always get it in court, right? Like, it's not that the law is done, it's perceived to be done. Like, yeah, it's yeah, such yeah. a like, lame-ass but true thing to say. Yeah, it is very, very true. Because the moment... Even if, let's say, all our judges are on point, but the moment the entire judiciary is perceived to be corrupt, the system falls apart. Mm. In the entire system will fall apart. Because so much of what we do as citizens and as humans is actually based on like a trust. A so trust exchange. Yeah. Right? Everything is trust. You know? So like, the very fact that you go to court, it's a belief that you will be treated fairly. True. I mean, if you didn't trust court, you should just go over to whoever you don't agree with and just stab him in the neck. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, don't go stab people in the neck. <laughs> or you would not seek any remedy in any court because you'll you be wasting money. What was the, what would be the point? You know? So your entire legal framework, you know, falls apart if there is no trust in the system. Hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. Mm. Man. We're just like a bunch of randos living together, I think. That's yeah. society. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like, I mean, this is a controversial point, but like sometimes we overhype diversity. Um, but it's difficult when like you have like communities so diverse, like Malaysians and Chinese, mm-hmm. and they are unable to sit down together and really eat and eat together and able to con- when they are unable to converse in the same language. These things are binders and people, right? You look at like homogeneous. Um, uh, communities like or societies like Thais? Uh not like South Korea oh, okay you know like where they all have like the same culture the same language it really binds the people together there are downsides to it of course yeah. nationalism <laughs> of course for sure uh, and I think uh, sort of all right behavior it, 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 you know it comes out very strongly la. marginalization of like minorities they come out very strongly but on the, the the strength is you have a united front, you know, so it's like a bit tricky lah sometimes. 
can apply economic principles here lah. Which what what economic principles? Uh, like socialism encourages everyone to be a whole we thing, right? Rather than a capitalistic thing. Yeah. But by capitalism, where you encourage like progress and growth. You would narrow down to immediately to the most marginalized or the poorest performing communities, right? The Malays and Indians, and be like, okay, if we improve their lot, this will like improve the country. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. But there's a danger of just pumping in effort like blindly to a group. Yeah. If it's like a blo- broken spigot, right? Yeah. You give more water to it, it's just like going to keep spilling. Yeah. So maybe you need to help fix the community before you just dump money straight in. Yeah, for sure. But like a complete, like holistic socialist approach, rather than racially break it down, just kind of like okay, this is our B forty B. Is this? A, I think it's annoying, like B forty M forty kaba benda. But it's a good start. Like okay, so let's disregard so much the racial thing. That can be a fine refinement later, but there's definitely some need to restructure how poverty works. Yeah. And like okay, cool, cool, cool. That sounds like a more sensible thing. But then, also the messaging becomes like, let us help lift poor people out of poverty. People in general, so there's no political or racial incitement of it. Of like, oh, this racial group is doing poorly. We must help this racial group, and like you, racial group should keep voting for me. Yeah. Like ah, that just got really hairy very fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's the danger of just trying to politicize it, and also. <sighs> Just pure brute economics of it. Yeah. I don't know. I think like it's it is really. I I'll meander if I go there. I think like the benefit of like a capitalist structure is, in a weird way, everyone is valued in terms of their output. So people who are not outputting, they're not like giving an output. You would want them to. It's like this whole thing is like a giant boat, right? And it it's premised on this boat moving smoothly. Mm. So if the lowest parts of your community are not, you know, if they become like a hindrance or burden towards the boat, that system will quickly try and address it so that the boat keeps on moving. It's yeah. basically if you have, you touch people's money, right? If you touch mm. people's money, they're gonna like what's going on, what's happening. Um, and also another good thing or another benefit of the capital structure is the incentivization. The incentivization. To uh, if the result is gig economy, that's pretty. That's pretty bleak, lah. I don't know, man. I don't know. Could the gig economy be like one step towards something else? Like, could it be like an intermediary? People think it's a bandit, but is a horrible disease. Okay, why? It, it just like alters people's existence in a horrible way. Like, commoditizing people to such a degree is crazy. Because like in the idea of yeah a job you get paid at the end of the year and uh, in a month, but the hope is that a job is a career, as a social group of it, and you're part of an organization and you're trying to lift the organization. Yeah, but like a gig economy type of job in the long run would like what do we say? What what do you say would be horrible? But if it's a means of uplifting someone, like for example, you can't afford a car, mm. so you get like a you become a grab driver while you pay off your car. And that transitions you to something else, and it could be helpful. But it also dominates so much of your life yeah. that you be it becomes like chasing dollars and cents. Like someone's telling me about how his 
I think marketing company or something, a whole bunch of younger people just left and they said like, yeah, I make like a few thousand with you, like a thousand, two thousand, something a month. But with gig economy, I can make three thousand. Like, yeah, but this is, you just come to work and like sit in the office and work and that's your entire cost is going up and down, right? And then this is just, you're a junior, you can go up. Yeah. If you work gig economy, how much do you pay for your motorcycle? If you bought a new motorcycle, how much is your... The top line is attractive, is it? Yeah. But how much are you paying for petrol? How much time are you spending? If you're 16 hours on a motorcycle a day, yeah. that is not going to be great for your physique compared to like going yeah. to an office. And, and also your progression. Like. Three years from now, you're still making 3000 I don't know. I'm not saying you're going to make more with me in three years, but statistically, you could jump to a different company, make better later. It just forces, encourages people to think of the now. And people are so bad at planning that it really makes hamster wheels out of people. Yeah. It's crazy. That's true. That's true. Destructive. La. Because it's, that's the part I really don't like it. It's not destructive. It's predatory. And it's right now popular because people are, they're, they're worse. They're in any shitty situation. La. It's better than nothing right now, yeah. but you get so used to being, surviving on better than nothing that three, four years now, you don't have dreams and hopes and like, that's crazy, right? It dehumanizes people to such a degree. Yeah. That's, that's messed up, man. Oh, man. It's a complicated question. Can like, can like the geek economy be predatory? I don't know. It accidentally, maybe it accidentally became that way, yeah. but it like, while capitalism just generally does that, like, wow, we have all these people that we can abuse. That's amazing. Did you say something evil again, capitalism? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I'm trying to give people who don't have jobs jobs. Like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. Are you paying your taxes? Yeah. yeah. Then like, yes, let's abuse people. You know, it's just like, it gets really dark. Like, capitalism is that friend that's just kind of evil. Like, No, man, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I, like, feel like yeah. I, I feel like capitalism is like any other system, a system... It has its pros and its cons, but it's not like an evil entity. Okay, the capitalism itself is not an evil. Yeah. It's the people that like, if the first thing you want to do is like maximize, it gets super dangerous very fast because there's all these sub-sub things that capitalism doesn't have time for. The capitalism philosophy doesn't have time for. And that's, that's the destructive part. If you could have like a more tempered version, like, okay, um, certain ways of running a company using capitalism, that makes sense. Yeah. And certain bits of socialism where maybe making a guy work as a gig driver for five years is not great for his life. Mm. I should care about what his life looks and that becomes a company that cares about careers. Simple as that. Then you yeah. have company, man. Yeah. But we can't, we see, we can't, it's not as financially viable. Uh, yeah, but that. we, uh, it's, in the end of the day, it's also about freedom and what people want to do, right? And like for the person who wants to be like a geek, uh, who wants to engage in the gig economy, he wants to be a grab driver or whatever. We, you know, we can't force him not to be oh, yeah. if he wants to. We can like tell him, like, dude, these are the pros, these are the cons. But ultimately, it's his decision, right? And that's the biggest problem, I suppose, with, it's like how much of autom autonomy do you give away? Like, how much of freedom do you give away? Like, how much does the state get involved in the running of lives? Do you want like a China kind of like structure where like the amount of social media you engage, you consume is regulated by the state? Mm. Is that like going too far? You know, you get what I'm saying? Because that is basically the social, socialism, 
socialism route. It's saying that, look, on a day-to-day basis, you're going to be uh, distracted or bogged down by all these different systems in play. So we, the state, are going to come and intervene and we're going to put these like restrictions and rules for the betterment of everybody. As I well. mean, Europe is also socialist. They're yeah. not such control freaks. Yeah, I mean, but they're more like social democracies. La. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit different. So like, yeah, like a social democracy, maybe it would be like a... Because a lot of them basically are, are merged, have merged capitalism and socialism to like a weird kind of like, not weird, yeah. like a hybrid. La. I mean, China is socialist and also highly capitalist now as well. Yeah, they but don't it's wanna, not, They don't want to admit it. Yeah, yeah, but it's not democratic. La. Oh yeah, definitely not. It's democratic. not democratic, you know. So that's a big, big difference. La. Because once you become democratic, <laughs> you would not have the... China would not be able to do a lot of things that it wants to do if it was democratic. That makes it feel more capitalistic than ever then, actually. If you had an easy control population, that makes for incredible economic power. For sure. For sure. It's like, um, in a way, it's like a monarchy, I suppose. It's like a mon- yeah. It's monarchy mon- with real power? <laughs> no, like I'm talking about like back those oh, days monarchy. Yeah. I was talking about like William the Conqueror monarchy, not like our oh, monarchy yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, so you'd have like the benefit of one supreme power and then you would have this workforce that you could sort of utilize. Mm. Uh, I think we've spoken about a lot of things that we are both not qualified to talk about. Definitely. <laughs> Hopefully people will just phase out after like, okay, okay, okay this is interview bit like, oh, they're rambling. Okay. I'm I definitely just... need to read a, a lot more about, about this, this thing. You know, because it's such like a pertinent question of like, how do we want to structure? Because that, that question now is becoming more and more prevalent. How do you want to structure your society? Because we actually have options now. True. You know? I think the most relevant part to uh, individual is how do you choose to spend? Like a very micro example is, have you been looking at pay, buy now, pay less, uh, pay later no, comments? No, no, not really. Okay, instead of a okay, credit card, you pay with credit, your yeah. bank has settled it. Sure. If you don't uh, pay by end of month, then you're fucked up. Yeah. But cash, you pay your person cash and then so on and so forth. Okay, let's yeah. look at it like for every hundred ringgit. There's actually a cost. Even if you pay them cash perfectly, they get the money immediately. But actually having to mend the till, having a till system and the odds that every once in a while some asshole gives them a fake hundred ringgit. Yeah. There's actually a small percentage cost using cash. Credit card is much more straightforward. You're definitely going to get that money. But the credit card company just charges you at 2% something. Actually certain credit cards with more perks you get charged more for accepting them. Mm-hmm. This might not be true in Malaysia. This is based on something I've heard in Canada. Right. So people with like super premium, ultra black <laughs> uh, MasterCard. Uh, MasterCard. <laughs> yeah. Like every time I swipe, yeah, I win a free plane ticket. Like, wow, shit. Yeah, the, someone has to pay for that. And that's the shop. The shop pays percentage wise. Yeah. And so the poor people are actually uh, subsidizing the rich people to get more perks. Right. You swipe your card, you just say, yeah. <laughs> the capitalist dream. <laughs> Fantastic. But this buy more, yeah. buy now, pay later is a bit more sinister. Um, they charge shops up front, uh, percentage. So for, it's like a debt restructuring. Okay. You buy $100, hundred for it. The buy now, pay later people buy that transaction for 94 ringgit. Okay. So right off the bat, the shop lost 6% already. And you pay the buy now, pay later people 100 ringgit at the end of your period. Mm. And if you don't, they're going to hantam you some more for like quite aggressive interest. Right, right. Terms and conditions apply depending on them. Some of them are more aggressive, some people are less. 
But firstly, every time you do that, the shop you're buying from is getting a bit less. The argument is these people sell more bulk. Lah. So I used to do this to buy from like one of my favorite online coffee shops. It's like, la, okay. It's like, what? 30 ringgit beans of coffee? I can stretch it over three months? Like, that's a laugh. Let's do it. Yeah. But now I feel a bit bad. Like, oh, okay. For me, I didn't even need the confidence. I was just bloody doing it because it was funny. Right. But, okay, I'm, I'm not going to like mail them cash. Or I'll use credit card. Lah, so maybe they lose 1-2%. Yeah. But making these little conscientious decisions, do you really need to use that extra service or like grab fee, uh, grab food, right? Mm. 30% taken from the shop. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. So maybe if you walk down to your local mama shop and just eat there and fully pay them in full in yeah. cash or touch and go, whatever. Yeah. yeah, sure. That means you are transferring as much money as possible to the service you're using. Like, do you have to grab food all the time? Yeah. Yeah. And then the other problems to grab is like, what is happening to gig worker? What is happening to the shop? And there's a lot of extra unnecessary evil or ethical concerns into it. So where possible, like, I'm not asking people to like, oh, vote in like a socialist party, yeah. change how you live, work in a, like, have a hut somewhere and grow vegetables and be a vegan. Yeah. That's crazy. I'm just like, firstly, maybe don't grab food if the shop is down the road from you. Okay. Maybe if like, you live in Pochong and that place is in Shalam, like, yeah, that's crazy. I'm never going to go there. Otherwise, like, okay, maybe fair enough. Yeah. But like, I hear people like, oh, uh, let's get some ID, man. Like, oh, want to drive out? No, just grab in now. Yeah. It's, it's down the road. It's like, I could walk there five minutes. Yeah. No problem. I, I, I'll I walk for you guys. Like, no, tapa, tapa. And like, people are so lazy. The, the, and the convenience of it, just steamrolls over the ethics of it. That's a bit concerning. Yeah. That's where I, at least I feel individuals have the power to spend. Uh. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I That's the thing. I think like the individual is like very, very powerful. And I feel like the sovereignty of the individual is, uh, has to be protected. Not to say at the expense of like the community or society, mm-hmm. but fundamentally, I think when you like really reduce it to its bare bones, you know, mm-hmm. we're all individual people that have to make individual decisions. And responsibility for our choices. Right? Yeah, responsibility for our choices. And uh, we have to be accountable for those decisions and all of that. Uh, and I think we should be slow in sort of like letting the state take over our roles. It's easier to do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, sh- we should all, as best as we can, strive to be like informed and educated and we try to like figure out like what are the moral choices in our lives that we have to make. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you are better people, hopefully the state doesn't need to intercede so much. Huh? Well, but who's to, you know, who's to decide that? Lah? You know, who's to decide that? And that's also like, is the state going to be I mean, a, like, a good The criminal plan? legal system is an example of that. Like, yeah. If you could stop killing people for a while, we will need, need the laws a bit less. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an extreme example. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah, every time that. people want to be kind of shitty, the state has an excuse to intercede. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Like, so for example, if like, we, what, what you're saying about the, or like, for example, like, let's say like, if like employers are going to be uh, using WhatsApp and social media to engage their employees like all the time, 24 hours a day for seven, uh, for, for an entire week, right? Monday to Sunday. And if they are, don't fatter themselves, then you might have to, you might have to think, the state might have to come and intervene, which is, I think, like, really, yeah, it causes so much of mess, you know, to regulate that, then you have to enforce it, and it it, it will create a lot of bureaucracy <laughs> that is it, just 
not helpful. If employers themselves could be uh, aware that your contract for your staff is between nine to six and to be disciplined and to stick to that nine to six, mm. it's just actually a change of mindset that needs to happen. We would not have to, you know, get the state to intervene. No? In the sense that nanny state is, shouldn't be a prerogative. Like it's just, it kind of is what it is. A nanny state. You, it's, they step in when you can't be nice to each other. Which is not, I think, I, it's I, embarrassing. It's but, embarrassing uh, and it's also not good. And especially if you have a state that you can't trust, do you want them to be the nanny? Yeah, ah, yeah that's a whole that's a, of Yeah, issues, but so. it's true. And like, the scary thing for me is for people who are happy mm. or, you know, who are encourage the state to intervene. I'm like, you should be slow in doing that. You I should mean, look at other People are usually in a privileged position, right? The, they are the currents of their society. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Anyway, yep. you know we've hit like two hours. Shit. <laughs> I am way not that interesting enough to get two hours. Yeah, we, but we did it. Good job. Woo-hoo. Do you have any other questions? No, no. I think I ran through my questions well back already. Yeah. I don't know. We've spoken about a lot of random things today. Mm-hmm. Anyway, normally we end with like a thought or with a recommendation. I guess we can do final thoughts since we spoke about so many different things. What is your what's your final thought to like the people listening? What is your message to them? Be more conscious with your decisions. Yeah. The gateway to a lot of these problems is being too ambivalent. Yeah. So even something as simple as ordering lunch, maybe just give it a bit more thought. Like, do I want to do this? Is this one of the do I need the three double fried chickens? Yeah. But also, do I need to order it to a specific service? Yeah. My yeah. final thought would be, um, especially when we are, I mean, now things are so extreme when it comes to COVID. Mm. But let's take COVID aside. Uh, when it comes to issues that we disagree on, we need to really kind of like revisit this idea of engaging with people that disagree with us mm. and uh, developing the ability to speak to people. Because as much as we think that people are different to us, actually there is an underlying human experience that mm-hmm. we all connected to. Like irrespective of your Malay, you know, Chinese, you experience love, rejection, fear of death, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, all uh, of fear of loneliness. All these human experiences connect us. And you, the very fact that you can have like uh, uh, white people who... Uh, are also activists for Black Lives Matter. You know, you, you can't have that paradigm. The ally thing, right? Yeah. And that's because of the ability to empathize. So don't like underestimate the power of empathy. Like, you know, learn to engage and like learn to uh, communicate with people in the sense that try and like help them to empathize or put them in a position so that they'll really be able to, to f- see it from a different point of view. But if you're going to go like full on like combat mode, and just battle, that's also going to be like counterproductive law. Mm. You know, so that's my thought. Like, just like, like, let's like learn how to engage with other people. Better. And take a breather before you do. Yeah, don't go on Twitter and like post something. <laughs> it's not helpful. But, but anyway, uh, so yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, when will the, your thing when will it come out? Uh, will it come out? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Some Monday soon. <laughs> okay. 
depends on our backlog yeah. of uh, cover stories we'll keep the listeners posted uh, to all those listening uh, thank you so much for listening uh, and from myself and uh, Kishan we hope you are staying uh, safe staying healthy and staying good we are done